The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome to this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. What is the best strategy for marketing an AEC firm? I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and in this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, I'll be talking with Will Schneer, PE, Chief Marketing Officer at WGI. Will is the former CEO and founder of Big Red Dog Engineering. He's previously been on the Civil Engineering Podcast way back on episode 13, where he talked about business development. He's also been on episode 86 of our Engineering Career Coach podcast, where he talked about how he used the flywheel to build a leading engineering company. And in this episode, he's diving into marketing strategies for AE firms. And this is a really, really awesome conversation because what Will does in this conversation is he gives real quantitative examples of how marketing can drive revenue for an engineering consulting firm. And I think that that's the one thing that holds people back from doing marketing. So I'm thrilled to have this conversation with him. Before we get started with Will, this is a free show and our sponsors help us to keep it free. Now I'd like to thank our sponsor for this episode, Collier's Engineering and Design. Collier's Engineering and Design is a multidiscipline engineering firm with over 1,800 employees and 63 offices nationwide and growing fast. Collier's Engineering and Design maintains an internal culture that is nurtured through the promotion of integrity, collaboration, and socialization. Their employees enjoy hybrid work environments, continuous career advancement, health and wellness offerings, and programs and projects that have a positive impact on society. Collier's Engineering and Design stays on the cutting edge of technology and their entrepreneurial approach to expansion provides personal and professional development opportunities across the firm. Leadership's dedication to the well-being of their employees and their families is demonstrated throughout the wide range of benefits and programs available to them. For more information, visit the career page on their website at colliersengineering.com. Now, I also want to just mention that we have some programs starting soon for our People Leadership, Project Management, and Seller Doer Business Development courses. You can check them all out at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Click on the upcoming training button in the top right of the website or give us a buzz, 800-920-4007. That's 800-920-4007. Let's jump into our conversation of the week with Will Schneer. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now I'd like to welcome our guest onto the podcast today. Will Schneer is the Chief Marketing Officer at WGI. Will, welcome back to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thanks, Anthony. Glad to be here. Yeah, Will's been a guest a few times, and he always gives us a ton of value when he comes on the show. In the past, we've had him on to talk about business development. He he founded a company, talked about that, and we can touch on that briefly today. But we're going to talk a lot about marketing today. That's Will's role today at WGI. Will, let's start off by having you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, about WGI, and kind of what you do there on a daily basis. I have been with WGI. My tenure has been just over three years now, and I became WGI associate and shareholder because they acquired our company, which was Big Red Dog Engineering, on January 1st, 2019. Prior to being at WGI, I was the co-founder and CEO of Big Red Dog. We did that for about nine and a half years before we sold to WGI. We were 130 professionals, about $20 million in in gross revenue, and had offices all over the major markets in Texas at the time of our sale. Fast forward three years, WGI is a 600-person design firm specializing in everything from urban planning and transportation to geospatial services, land surveying services, bridge inspection, rail design and inspection. And we have 21 offices across a nationwide footprint. So it's been a great run here, both at BRD and now that we're part of WGI. And we're blessed to be in, in Texas and Florida and two great markets, professional services at the moment. So that's kind of my story. I live in Austin, Texas. So we'll round it out there. 
Yeah, Will gave a more of his backstory in the last episode. It's really interesting of how we founded Big Red Dog and built it. And I think what we're talking about today is marketing. And Big Red Dog was awesome at marketing. I mean, I remember going to a conference, Will, I was sitting in the audience and there was a couple of your competitors at the time saying, man, we got to keep our content up with Big Red Dog because they're cranking out content and they're doing great marketing. And I'm assuming that's also probably one of the reasons that your firm was really attractive to be acquired because of the marketing and such a big thing in today's world. And, And let's talk about that. We know marketing in general is a very important thing for any business that wants to grow. However, talk about how marketing is important for engineering, you know, consulting firms, whether they're small or large. To me, it's critical. You can be the best engineer in the world, but if no one knows who you are and nobody can find you when they need the services that you provide, it's going to be all for naught. The ability to sell, the ability to promote a brand, the ability to create brand awareness is really a prerequisite to being able to be an engineer and provide engineering services and ultimately be a great engineering firm. You have to be able to let the market know who you are, get, make it easy for the market to contact you, and then ultimately, uh, once executed successfully, to be able to promote both a successful project and a successful client after the fact. There's many components to that that I'm sure we'll get into, but you can't sell engineering without first doing some level of marketing in order to bring your clients in the door. Yeah, absolutely. And it's fundamental. And I think a lot of people equate marketing with sales, which makes sense. If you do marketing, you can make sales, you can do business development, you can grow your business. But I think the other side of it too is the idea of you have to sell your firm also to future hires, future prospects in terms of hiring and employees and team members. And that marketing is a big component of that. I mean, a lot of people today are online. We're going to get into that in a little bit social media. The reason that I want to talk to Will about this today too, is because marketing is important in every aspect of growing a business. And we can't just think of it in terms of making more sales. We have to thinking about it of building a team, growing a team. We're going to get into that as well today. And I would imagine, Will, that that's also fundamental. Oh, it's incredibly fundamental and retaining the team you have and promoting the work environment internally to associate uh, retention effort. I'm glad you mentioned that earlier, Anthony, because our all of our brand positioning and our website really are designed to have two front doors. You can go in as a potential or prospective client and you can go in as a potential or prospective employee of WGI. The content that is served up and the suggestions that are served up on the various pages of the website, the contact forms, the pop-ups, all differ and vary based on the route you take through the website. That's a little bit on, of the technical side on the back end of the website, but it's to us, it's incredibly important. And, and our marketing team is significant, and we're responsible for not only external brand promotion, and creating brand awareness and company awareness among prospective employees, but also for internal communications and spearheading the communications coming out of the C-suite into the firm and helping to produce some of that and and help draft some of that copy and, and those messages and ultimately to make sure that we can disseminate them the most effective way internally. You know, and that's something that the outside world never sees, but a huge portion of our efforts are are dedicated to internal messaging just for that reason. I know you guys have a podcast and that also can be helpful in, in internal communication, right? And letting people hear about what's going on in the firm. I think that's really critical. You have a firm that's stretched out across the East Coast, the country, whatever it may be. Someone sitting in Florida may want to know about something going on in New York or may benefit from knowing about something going on in New York. And even like just knowledge sharing in general, Will, I find is one of the biggest challenges for consulting firms these days as they they grow. Because again, there's somebody with a very specific expertise and no one knows about them in another part of the country. And therefore, you're wasting time. You're not optimizing yourself. And so I think that's just a whole other side of marketing content development that people don't think about. I mean, you're correct there, Anthony. And and with our national footprint, our experts are all over the country. And I mentioned that we spend a a huge portion of our time on internal comms. One of those efforts is on an internal intranet. And many firms in our profession in the AE world of a certain size have an internal intranet. It it basically functions as a, a private social media network. But in our case, our intranet includes not only a directory, but a searchable directory by states licensed in, skill sets specialized in. You know, it connects to our 
currently what is our vision database going to be BST by year's end, but our vision ERP and pulls up our employees and the clients they're working with and the projects they've completed and their active projects and completed projects. So it has employee biographies and resume bullet points that we can all search by. And, you know, it's got knowledge. You mentioned knowledge sharing. It's actually, it is a knowledge sharing platform where quality control checklists and procedures and everything from HR to finance to safety program data and information is on there. We post, you know, our financial results every month at the conclusion of every accounting month on the green room, you know, the key KPIs for the whole company to see. Our executives put a post up weekly or biweekly on a regular basis, and we probably get 20 or 30 posts a day from around the company, and it it does a whole lot. Over 92% of our associates view the green room, we call it the green room, view green our green room content every week. So that's something we're proud of. And for a company spread out across the country, out in the field, in offices, it's been a good communication tool for us. You're an engineer by background, of course. And you got into marketing, you obviously are passionate about it. You like it, you do it on a daily basis now. For someone in the engineering world, technical background that is interested in marketing, that is just getting involved with marketing, what advice can you share with them in terms of getting started in marketing? A couple of things. First, and I bang the drum on this internally here at WGI, every technical person in the firm is responsible for marketing. And on a base level, that means your job is to do so well that your current clients come back to you for the next project. It costs a lot more effort and a lot more work and dollars and learning curve to go get new clients than it does to keep your current clients happy and coming back. And our happiest clients tend to be our most profitable clients. And then I think that's true for most businesses. So that's number one. The entry-level EIT who may interact with the client or with a, a city member or a city council member, their job is to make a good impression, be diligent, and create a good impression and, and a good feeling from the client they're working with such that they come back. And ultimately, as a firm, we got to perform and, and keep those clients coming back. Number two, when you're, you talk about expanding your network and, and marketing and sales, I try to teach our team members, even at the PM and more senior levels, market leader levels, you know, they'll hear me say, I don't want you to go to an event or reach out to somebody with the intent of selling anything. That's an awful lot of pressure. We've read theories and, and read books where get to know first, you know, if you get the prospect to say no, then you're in the sales process, you're negotiating. I've never subscribed to that. You know, at the end of the day, I'm a slightly on the introverted side of this extrovert, introvert scale, and probably why I ended up an engineer. So, you know, to me, it's just relationship building. Everything we do in terms of brand promotion and content creation, whether it's the podcast or blog posts or research papers or cost studies or white papers, everything we do is really to lay the foundation for relationship building and giving something of value to the prospect. There's a finite number of AE firms, and I'll use engineer and architect interchangeably here. There's a finite number of our firms. You know, If they've got a relationship with you, you've given them something of value repeatedly and regularly in the past and near past. Nine times out of 10, they're going to contact you if they need your services. And at that point, you're really relying on the relationship to consult, which is what technical people like to do. They're happy to consult towards the sales process more so than, than to approach it as a direct sales process. And that might be a mind trick, but the bottom line is, if I summarized all that, is provide something of value and give them a means to contact you for more of it. And when they contact you for more of it, that's when you put them on the clock. As an example, one of the things we do is we publish an annual parking cost study every year at WGI. We give it away for free. You want to know how much a above ground structural parking spot costs at one of 30 major markets in the country? We can give you that per square foot price in our annual parking cost study. And in order to get that, you submit your contact information that goes into our marketing database and allows us to touch you with relevant content to that parking cost study over and over again as we develop. That little example right there probably gets 1,500 downloads a year maybe 2,000 downloads at this point, if I extrapolated it for 2022, say it's 1,500. Those 1,500 downloads a year are realistically leading to 
50 to 75 new projects a year, above ground structural parking garages. And the design fee on something like that, you know, starts in the six figures. So it's a great little system we got working. And a good example of giving something of value for free and a means to ask for more for them to come back and ask for more. Those are my two things is keep your current clients coming back and then focus on building relationships by adding value to people. The word value is such a great word when you're talking about content, you're talking about marketing, and that's really where you need to begin. If you're going to write blogs, if you're going to do a podcast series, if you're going to do a series of videos, you have to think about who's going to be watching or consuming that content and what value are they going to walk away from it? Because if they're not getting value out of it, they're not going to come back to you for more content. They're not going to opt into whatever you're offering them. Like Will said, you're not going to get those 1,500 people or whatever it is per year. So that's a really important lesson that I've learned in content development. By the way, if you want to check out WGI's website, it's WGIinc.com. And you can see some of the things that Will talked about that they're doing. And they do have a great newsletter. I'm on their newsletter. I think I got on it because I saw a really interesting one of the white papers and I downloaded it. And now I get the, the regular updates. I think what Will said there is so important about the white paper and the 1,500 people. When I talk to a lot of engineering companies, they're not doing marketing. And I think part of it is because, yeah, they're busy with other things, but that can never be a good excuse. They don't understand necessarily the value of it. And I think kind of the tangible quantitative value of it. And I think Will just gave you a little window into that when he talked about it. If you're putting something out about parking and you end up getting X amount of projects from it, that's marketing, you know, doing sales for you right there and relating it back to it. So I know sometimes people struggle to see that because a lot of the content that gets put out costs you money to develop and it's free. You're not charging for it directly, but indirectly you're building a reputation, you're building contacts and ultimately work is going to come out of that. So keep that in mind when you're developing a content strategy. Let's talk a little bit about social media now, Will. What can you offer about marketing on platforms like LinkedIn or Facebook? Less and less every day for the Facebooks and the Twitters, more and more every day for LinkedIn. It's a changing landscape. When I started AEC marketing at Big Red Dog in earnest 12 years ago, 13 years ago, very few of our peer firms were on any social media network. You recall LinkedIn was in its infancy in the Great Recession, 08, 09. It may have just launched. That's when it came to my attention is why is everyone talking about this LinkedIn website when there were a lot of professionals you know, on the street looking for a job in the tale of 08, early 09. And over the last 12, 13 years, LinkedIn has only become more important. That's where our community is and used very aggressively by our, our in-house recruiting staff to find potential associates or to try to attract associates to WGI. But it, when our associates, current associates, share the content that we're producing on their personal LinkedIn networks, the reach just explodes. I mean, it's 10 to 1. We can reach one audience through our, our WGI LinkedIn post. But if one of our associates shares with their personal network, and then that snowballs and a couple other people share it, it really goes up significantly, our reach. We really encourage our folks to share content relevant to what they do from our platforms on their own LinkedIn platform. Facebook is tricky. The other social media networking type channels are tricky for a, a professional services firm. I would say they used to be a little bit more lucrative. You got more bang for your buck than you do these days. Facebook and Instagram, we generally limit to the real effort to more attracting potential employees more so than clients. You reach clients and employees on LinkedIn and it's concentrated and, and how you can, if you want to talk about paid advertising or paid marketing on the LinkedIn platform, you can segment it by part of the country, age group, you know, job title. It's really quite a powerful algorithm they've got there and, and one reason why they're so successful. The other thing we do strategically is Google ads and being able to have select keywords. And I, I won't give away the secrets and say what the keywords are, but you know, you can an ad for a service right there on Google and, and very few of our peer companies are doing this right now, Anthony. So the cost per click is low compared to a consumer facing brand, for example. We're really B2B. We're trying to get other companies to hire WGI. So there's still a lot of value there in Google ads. LinkedIn is the one we leverage the most. 
day to day, just specific to social media. But ultimately, if we step back from how we're executing day to day on social media, we're really trying to maintain our own ecosystem, you know, on the platform we own. We don't own Facebook. We don't own LinkedIn. We don't own YouTube or Instagram and never will. So what we're really trying to do is create our own ecosystem. You mentioned our newsletter. We use a publicly available software product. We have almost a 50,000 person email marketing database. And all 50,000 of those people have either been a client of the firm, actively a client of the firm, or voluntarily submitted their contact information through the website. And we built that up over the last three years, three and a half years or so. And there's several emails going out to buyer persona lists. You know, that 50,000 person email list doesn't get every email. We create buyer personas and slice and dice the list so that 10 people may get an email specific to webinar on coastal hardening, you know, seawalls and things like that, that we're hosting digital webinar, and they've happened to be on website pages or downloaded content relative to that subject. We try not to spam that 50,000 person list with irrelevant information, even though it's from WGI. We really try to provide information that's relevant to the actual pages they looked at or the papers they downloaded or the studies they downloaded. And that's an incredibly powerful tool. I've mentioned all the content pieces, but you know another key wrinkle to that is, is we host eight to 10 webinars every year, one a month, and then excluding uh, November and December. Just hard to get an audience in November and December. But we regularly have 100, 150, 200 people, potential clients of the firm or existing clients of the firm attending webinars with our professionals. That in itself, where are you going to get 200 people to listen to one of your project managers talk about traffic impact analysis or suicide prevention in parking garages or tilt wall building design and what you need to know, you know about tilt wall buildings or high rise design we've done, for example. We've done one on EV charging stations. These are incredibly powerful tools that are available to everyone in our business from a two-person company to a 20,000-person company and up. You know, there's a low barrier to entry. You just have to curate the content and, and promote it. And frankly, we've got a wonderful team doing that for us at WGI. I do very little of it myself. I've, I'm a strategy and, and metrics guy and the day-to-day -day execution. I've got very good people helping me with that. That's kind of going to bring us into our next point. I want to talk a little bit about marketing strategies. But before we go there, one question I have for you is, why do you think, Will, in the AE industry, companies are so far behind on marketing? I mean, I know what you're talking about here is a very developed marketing program where you have content, you have opt-in, you're able to get build an email list, and then you can even go to a third level, like you mentioned, which could be a whole five podcast episodes on Google ads and LinkedIn ads and all that kind of stuff, right? So it's very layered and it can look very complicated, but it seems like people don't even get to step one in the AE industry. They don't even develop enough content. And the sad fact is most of them are already developing the content and answering the question several times a week anyway, and they're just not taking that next step and packaging it up and putting it on the website. If you're a private development firm, you know, doing civil engineering in any market in the country, Oklahoma City, we're not in Oklahoma City, so this is all hypothetical. But if you're asked once a week, what can I build in this specific zoning district or Maybe there's a transit-oriented incentive and you're asked that question. Well, you're answering that question several times a week, either verbally or by email. You could easily turn a question like that into a blog post. Twelve years ago, when we started, Anthony, our only strategy, Big Red Dog didn't have any money. You know, at the time we were 10 employees, we were losing money every period trying to grow the firm. And our marketing strategy had to be digital because it was free. We couldn't sponsor a $3,000 luncheon or a golf tournament or something like that. So very base level, no paid advertising, nothing. Put in a blog page on your website. It's a template in most cases. It's already in there. You just have to turn it on and put it in the menu and answer just right out with your team or yourself every question you think a client of yours or potential client of yours would type into Google. What can I do in the commercial services zoning district in Oklahoma City? What are the environmental regulations in Oklahoma City? What's the tree protection ordinance in Oklahoma City? Is there a neighborhood conservation program in Oklahoma City? 
any of these type of questions. Who's the electric provider in Oklahoma City? You know, and if you happen to be that Oklahoma City firm and someone's doing a project there, there's a very high likelihood you're going to be number one, two, or three on Google when they type that into the search engine. And if you're one, two, or three in Google, you're going to get contacted. And if you reply first, whether a reply email or phone call, there's a very high likelihood that you're going to win that project and move it forward. Anthony, when we shop in our personal time, no matter what you're looking for, I was shopping for some landscape stone. It's spring here. So I was shopping for landscape stone and I contact, I filled out the form on three vendors' websites and say, you know, how soon can you deliver a load and what's it going to cost for the delivery? You know, deliveries going through the roof with gas prices. The first guy who replied got the job and the next two didn't reply for three or four days. By that time, I had already paid the first guy and coordinated the delivery, right? Same thing happens in our business. If you reply, I tell our folks four business hours is how long you have to reply to a web lead. Within four business hours, they're still, it's a warm lead. They're ready to talk. They're ready, eager to get going. If you take longer than that, there's a high likelihood somebody else has already started the conversation and, and you're now in the back seat, not the passenger seat. So, and that all starts, just what will your potential client type into a search engine? Only search engine that matters is Google, frankly, and answer that question on your blog. And you don't have to worry about keywords or anything else because you already have the keywords you need in the heading of your blog post. What are the stormwater requirements in Oklahoma City? There's all the keywords, stormwater requirements, Oklahoma City, that you need in your blog post to get the click. So whatever you say after that, as long as it's accurate, and then at the bottom, make sure they know how to contact you, whether it's a phone number or an email form, that's a great start. You'll be in good shape. So many people start marketing with, oh, I need a paper brochure. And Anthony, you told me before we started, you're you know working with firms all over the country from where you sit right now. How are they going to hand you a paper brochure? I've got paper brochures from 2020s collecting dust in the lobby. No one takes them. <laughs> It's all digital. It's clicks. It's not paper right now. And, and you know, we have brochures that we put on the table at conferences and things like that. But when somebody wants something of value, they don't go thumb through their stack of brochures or their stack of ENR magazines. You know, they go straight to Google and, and they frankly don't even get past the first page of Google. So if you're not there, focus on, on the content marketing and it's free. Again, it's free. You're already doing it. Someone in your firm is doing it. Yeah, no, it's a good point. And I think the message there is that it's not as hard to do it as you think it is to do it. And I think a lot of companies don't start because of the, oh my God, it's so big. I can't do it. I don't know where to start. I don't know what content is. Content is scary. And it's true. I mean, I just got an email the other day from a civil engineer who read an article that I wrote and said, hey, I read your article. I got some questions about my career. Now, I can't respond to every civil engineer that emails me questions about their career, but what I can do is take that and do a video or a podcast episode and answer all those questions and then send it back to them and then share it on LinkedIn. And now maybe you answer 100 people's questions. And oh, by the way, if someone's searching for those questions on Google, like Will said, they're going to come to our EMI website, right? So it's about thinking about smart ways to do it. And to me, if a company says to me, I don't have the money to do marketing, my response is then you're in a lot of trouble because the amount of money that you can generate through marketing is 10 times, like again, back to Will's example with, with the parking report that they do, which is a perfect example. Since you mentioned that, in the event that a recession hits our market, that's the last time to reduce spending on marketing too. That's when you want to double it because that's when you're going to be desperate and you really need the work. So the gut reaction for many engineers in a down market is to reduce spending, but marketing is the one place you know you want to consider increasing spending and, and if nothing else, leaving it the same on a percentage basis of revenue because it's critical to have brand awareness in a down market. You can make a few more mistakes or be a little more lax in a hot market and, and get away with it. So I'm fortunate. I work for David Wantman here at WGI, and he has that philosophy, which I had prior to coming here. So that's been a great relationship. And if you think about it, yes, it's going to take some investment, maybe some time and some people to get things set up and really rolling from a marketing perspective. But once it is set up, think about what Will said, sending an email out to 50,000 people or 20,000 segmented, however you want to do it. Think about the value in that ability to be able to do that in terms of what you can generate from that just from putting in some legwork. Listen, it takes a lot of time and effort. I'm not sitting here saying that content's easy. You know, we've built a lot of podcasts here. It takes time, but everything takes time. 
right? Building your engineering projects and your project management, your quality control processes take time, right? So it's just another thing that is very important and critical to the growth of the company. Well, we've convinced a few companies here that they need to start doing more marketing. So if they're thinking about that, can you just talk a little bit about how marketing strategies can help firms when they get into marketing? Oh, that's a loaded question. This could be one of those three, four, five episode questions, but you don't want to start a business and say, oh, I'll sell engineering services to anyone who walks in the door. You have to know what you're good at. You have to know what you're capable of executing at a high level. And even as a company grows, you know, we know we're great at heavy highway transportation work. We know we're great at, you know, very challenging uh, geospatial data collection work. And so we pursue the types of clients and develop marketing strategy that will attract more of that work that we're good at, we do well, we leave our clients happy with the product and ultimately leaves us with the profit that allows us to keep building the business. So your marketing strategy has to be informed by who you're trying to target. Now, that's not a one-way street. Who you're trying to target may change based on the market, Anthony. In February of 2020, we were doing a whole lot of urban infill, high-density residential work. So four to 20-story residential mixed-use buildings in downtown Austin, downtown Houston, downtown Dallas. And when the pandemic happened, a lot of that stuff, the stuff that was out of the ground finished or is being finished, but the stuff that was just paper so was substantially put on hold and the, and the market roared into a you know next ring out suburban and exurban developments because people wanted more space. They wanted single family homes. They wanted subdivisions. They didn't want the urban core because everything was shut down. And so the market changed overnight when the pandemic happened. By the summer of 2020, we were doing a whole lot of exurban and suburban uh, residential development work compared to urban infill, high-density development work. And you have to listen to the market to inform your strategy, but you also have to form your strategy based on the types of clients you're willing to attract. If we talk about, that's really a commentary on the public side and the development side, but here we are two, three years post that, and we've got, we've passed the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, you know, the infrastructure funding bill. And that's going to be a boom for firms that do a whole lot of FHA and, and DOT work. And that includes WGI. We'll be forming our marketing strategy and have been forming our marketing strategy and our messaging around that to that specific client base, that buyer persona. You know, the buyer persona for a heavy highway project or a bridge project is not the buyer persona for 400-unit apartment complex in downtown Austin. Those are different people and need different messages. And so you have to recognize that. And, you know, if you're small or you're just starting out, you know, you ask, you pose the question as if, if you want to start doing a marketing program, pick one buyer persona, work through that, and then, then start expanding as you become more comfortable with it. We don't do anything here. We have a 25-page strategic plan every year that we review quarterly with our just for marketing. That's not for the company. Every division's got a plan similar to that. But you know, it's got our objectives, short-term objectives, long-term objectives, targets, action plans, who's responsible for updating the group. And uh, it really informs everything we do. And our team reads it regularly as we go about our work. So you know, our webinar targets, our content targets, our website KPI targets are all in there spelled out in January for us to achieve for the year. So it's not a throw the balls up in the air and see where they land. There are defined targets. But, you know, if you're just starting out, Anthony, maybe your target is I want to win three projects of this type in the next 12 months. Well, what do you have to do to win those three projects of that type? Who's paying you for those projects? First of all, is it a developer? Is it a city? Is it a, you know, a water provider? Is it a industrial developer? A lot of shipping, a lot of industrial going on right now too. So figure out who your buyer is and then figure out where your buyer goes, how he makes his decisions, what he looks for when making his decisions, who he's, he or she is working for now, who's their engineer now if they have one. You want to know who your competition is. That informs your decision making. And then ultimately you have to figure out how you're going to get in front of that buyer or that potential client and what your messaging is going to be to get you in the room and ultimately to have a second conversation after you make the introduction. A couple of questions ago, I said, don't go there with the, in there with the intent to sell. Same strategy. Go in there with the intent to build a relationship and make yourself known and give them something of value. And if you've done that successfully, 
that potential client will come to you with the next question. And now you've got the fish on the hook, you know, ready to reel it in. Don't think about it as a sales process, whether it's marketing or sales, really think about it as a relationship building and how you're going to get to the point where you have the conversation. And, you know, I mentioned website, but the website is really our fulcrum under the lever of relationship building, so to speak. There's, I gave you a number earlier, 1,500 to 2,000 downloads of that parking cost study annually. On a monthly basis across all content channels of ours, we get between four and 500 monthly conversions. And conversion in our language means somebody's given us their contact information, email, phone number, name, and company, and asked us to contact them for more information voluntarily. So that four to 500 monthly leads, you know, that's 100 a week for round numbers. I'd say of the 100, 20 to 25 are worth having a scoping conversation. You know, they're worthwhile and, and potentially in our wheelhouse. Is it in the right location? You know, is it, do we have the relationships? Do we have the capacity? Is it a good fit for the potential client for both parties? Is it a good fit? If we pass that test, those 20 to 25 become five to 15 signed contracts a week coming off the website. And that's at a firm of around numbers, $100 million, 600 people, five to 15 new projects a week coming off the website, directly off a of web lead. There's another 25 to 35 coming off of existing client relationships on a weekly basis right now. If you look at those, a third of our new clients might be directly off the website or a third of our new projects, Anthony, but two thirds to three quarters are keeping current clients coming back. And that's why I started there with that point. You can lose the 25% that are coming off the website, 25 to 33% coming off the website and be viable. You can't lose the 66 to 75% of your current clients that don't come back. That would be a disaster for any firm. You got to factor in all these things when it comes to strategy. But for the person just starting out, identify your targets, figure out how to get in the room and add value. You're not trying to sell. You're just trying to build a relationship so they know how to contact you when they're ready to buy. And if you do that, I think you'll be successful. That's great. And Will, just roughly speaking, how big is your team there, marketing? The marketing side of our team is nine people, including me. Then our business development team, which is boots on the ground business development folks, plus the public proposal team, RFQ response process, that's about 15 more people. So combined, we're 24, 25 people across marketing and business development for a 600-person firm. Give you round numbers there that if you want to kind of benchmark that against your firm size. I can tell you Big Red Dog got over 100 people with one and a half people doing marketing two people doing marketing. You know, I helped, but I was the CEO running the company. I had a lot of the strategy and built a lot of the building blocks, but ultimately we had a marketing director and, and he had an employee under him. So two people per hundred is, was the big red dog model. Keep in mind, we didn't do a whole lot of public pursuits, which is a challenging skill set to hire for. And it's a huge time demand, you know, putting together a public RFQ response. So somewhere in that neighborhood is really a sweet spot. You got to have the resources to execute your strategy. And if you can't afford them or you can't get them, you got to change your strategy accordingly. From the companies that I've worked with that are, I would say, maybe some of them being three to four times the size of WGI, I don't even think they have that many people. I think that's because of maybe short-sightedness to some degree in terms of the value of marketing. And again, without that many people, you're not pulling down the 10 to 15 or whatever it is contracts every month off the website, which is then generating the revenue upside. Well, Anthony, if you divide the BD from the marketing, you know, the marketing is the brand awareness, the things we've been talking about. Business development is really you're in the sales funnel. You know, you're in the sales process. We're responding to your proposal request with our qualifications on the BD side. So on the marketing side, it's really nine folks for a firm of 600. And, and, and that's comprised of a couple of graphic designers, a copywriter, a print specialist, two digital, three digital marketing specialists, and then a, a marketing manager who kind of oversees all the traffic. You know, there's a lot of coming and going in, into the team and out of the team all day long. We're fortunate to have those skill sets and those pieces in place that allow us to hit above our weight class in that regard. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you're fortunate, but you guys also made it happen. You know, you invested in it, and I think that that's a key message here. So Will and I could talk about marketing all day long. So we're going to stop here, and I'm going to wrap up with a couple of rapid-fire last couple of questions for Will on career development for those of you interested in some focused around career. So we'll be back in just a minute with that. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. Now it's time for our Civil Engineering Hot Seat segment, but before we dive in, I'd like to recognize our other sponsor for this episode, PPI. PPI's reputation and history sets them apart. PPI has helped engineers achieve their licensing goals since 1975. Their courses and review materials are based on decades of experience. They schedule their courses over two to three months to ensure you can properly retain information and allow enough time for homework. They ensure students don't have to cram for their exam. Their courses come with everything you need. They offer robust programs, access to lectures, forums, learning hub, books, slides, and more. Their programs place a big emphasis on homework. They believe that practicing as much as possible is crucial to exam success. PPI's instructors are very highly rated on student surveys. They are extremely attentive and knowledgeable. Check out PPI today at ppi2pass.com to see all the options available for FE and PE exam prep. Again, that's PPI, the number two, P-A-S-S dot com. All right, we're back with Will Schneer, Chief Marketing Officer at WGI. We had an awesome conversation around marketing and hopefully gave you some good tips on that. But now we're going to switch gears. We're going to put Will back on the civil engineering hot seat. He's been here before, and we're going to fire off a couple of last career questions. All right, Will, first question. Do you have any specific rituals that you practice every day? Maybe a morning routine, a lunchtime routine, just something that you do daily? that's contributed to your success? One consistent for the past, all of BRD's tenure and now my WGI tenure, I could not go to sleep at night without doing is a zero inbox policy. So I don't leave the office at the end of the day if I have an email in my inbox, whether that's my work inbox or my personal inbox. And you might say, well, how do you do that? That's nuts. You know, I probably get 200 emails a day. A hundred of them are FYI and I can read and delete or read and file. But otherwise, you know, it gets assigned. I do it right there on the spot or answer the question right there on the spot. Or if I need to do it, I file the email and put the event in my calendar and actually calendar the time in the near future to do it. You know, if I need to draft a message from one of the corporate officers for the board meeting, I won't just leave that inbox, that email in my inbox for two weeks. I'll put it in my calendar and actually block out an hour to draft it. So that's been key to me. And I see other people's inboxes when there are thousands of of emails and 200 unread emails. And that would drive me nuts. I could not function that way. So zero inbox policy has been the one consistent. That's great. No, I love that. I mean, I think a lot of people waste time rereading emails in their inbox. It happens a lot, you know, and, and that's definitely a challenge. And I think just kind of using your email and go through it whenever you want to go through it is not a good, it just makes people feel overwhelmed. So I, I, yeah. love, I love the... Uh, you don't want your email to manage you, right? Manage your email. And I think that's a challenge, especially for a lot of young professionals. I always recommend the book, which I read not too long ago by Cal Newport, A World Without Email which talks about how all of these unstructured communications like email and Teams and Slack and all these things have created a world where people are allowing them to manage you as opposed to you managing them. And if you're doing engineering work, you need to do a a stormwater analysis for two hours. That can be very distracting and can really elongate the amount of time you're spending on these projects. So check that out for sure. And on the topic of books, that's my next question. I know you're a really ton We're talking about marketing today. So I'm wondering if you can offer up a book on marketing that you would recommend, or just maybe something that you read recently that you want to share with the audience. Two older ones. I think I've mentioned one of them on your show before is Never Eat Alone, Farazi. And for the guy or gal who's just formulating their marketing strategy, trying to figure out how to get in the room, that's a great book. Another one, Traction, Gino Wickman, I think is the author. You know, so many times when we get out of engineering school and out of our four-year training ground on, on the road to being a PE, we focused on the technical side and not necessarily the business side. And, and that book, Traction, will give you a good way of thinking about the business. Other than that, marketing-specific books, I've actually, I've got a young one now, and I'm a t-ball coach for him, and I'm a softball dad and for my daughter and and got all that going on. So I'm a lot more into the podcast world when I'm in, in the car. And so there's plenty of great business and marketing podcasts 
I love the Wall Street Journal podcasts. You know, there's two minute podcasts, there's two hour podcasts. You know, how I built this has always been a favorite. Just kind of poke around in there. And and if your podcast venue of choice has a recommendation engine, you know, it'll recommend something that it thinks you'll like too. I've moved into the podcast world out of a lack of time when I'm sitting at home. We're recording a podcast here. WGI has our own Unleashed podcast. It's kind of a new frontier of, of curated content. You don't have to wait for something to be on at a specific time. It's It's been great. In the gym, listening to podcasts or in the car, that's yeah. the key. And that's another lesson that goes back to content from our previous part of the conversation, which is, you know, putting your content out there in different mediums is very important because then someone can read it, someone can listen to it, someone can watch it. It's just a simple way to create three pieces of content with the same piece of content. So it's just another trick in terms of those who want to get going on content. Thinking of your managers that you've had as an engineer through your career, if you think of your favorite manager, and you don't have to name names, but if you think of your favorite manager or managers, what made them your favorite? I'm just trying to understand from your opinion, what do you think makes great managers in the world of engineering? My favorite tended to let me be ambitious at the same time that they would hold me accountable, but not micromanage me. And what do I mean by that? You know, I could do the technical side. I, I think I've got 35 state PE licenses or something like that. So I could always do this, the technical side. But my passion and what I really excelled in compared to my peers was interacting with people, being the face at a public hearing and, you know, speaking before, you know, an elected body, working whether the employee city reviewers or the elected officials from a city or municipality, you know, behind the scenes. Some people would call that lobbying. That's a very fine line in our business that has ramifications. So I was an engineer with an application. I was not a lobbyist, Anthony. Very fine line. That was what I was good at. And I distinctly remember a, a manager now. She runs her own business. I was probably three years out of school and she was content to let the four engineers between me. I was the youngest one on the team. So the four engineers between me and her do the design and I'd take everything down to the city and get it permitted. That was kind of an upside down org chart compared to the other engineering teams in the firm. And it worked for us and we were very successful doing that. You know, that's just one example of letting me do what I, I was good at and ambitious and, and wanted to pursue, you know, while holding me accountable. I still had to know what the plan said while we were permitting them and, and getting them approved. In another case, you know, just right now working with David Wantman, he doesn't sit on top of me and monitor what I'm doing all day long. Of course, I'm a corporate officer, but we have a, a running text message conversation several times a day that may or may not be about work most of the time. But really, you know, we agreed on here's the metrics. Here's that plan I mentioned, you know, the strategic plan for marketing. Here's the metrics that are in the plan. He says, okay, I'm good with those metrics and those goals and that budget that you proposed to achieve those goals. And then I just update that, those KPI results. You know, I have a 12 page letter, 10 to 12 page letter every month I send to the executive team saying, here's how we spent your money. Here's the results that we got for the firm, whether in terms of web leads or conversions or projects won. And really, as long as those graphs keep going up or are above the target line, I get very little pushback and we think the same and, and operate the same. And the minute one of those KPIs falls below its target line, you know, we have a conversation and that's good because I know the conversation's coming and I better have an answer before he sees that it's dropped below the line, right? That's it for me is bosses who are willing to hold you accountable, but not micromanage you at the same time. You know, don't equate accountability with micromanagement. That's not a, a true statement. For so many engineers or technical people, step-by-step -step micromanagement is the norm, and I bristle at that. All right, Will, I got one more question for you. You get into an elevator with a civil engineering professional. They're, they're younger in their career. They're looking to get their career going, and you have 30 to 40 seconds with them in that elevator to give them career advice. What would you say to them? I would tell them to go to wginc.com forward slash careers, and we'd love to hear from them. I tell everyone in engineering school, you get an engineering degree today in the United States, any engineering degree, civil, mechanical, electrical, industrial, chemical, any of them. That's a one-way ticket to the middle class and beyond. I mean, you are now a protected class in terms of you need a license of some sort to sign and seal plans and, and take the liability and put the health, safety, and welfare of the public in, in your design. 
it's an absolute blessing for anyone who's able to achieve that at the university level. And, and then really what you do with it after that, what you do with your degree is you know entirely in your control. You can be an outstanding technical engineer. You can get into marketing for engineering firms like I did. Or you could just take the fact that you achieved one of the hardest degrees in the country and apply it to any field that you desire, engineering or not. That's a bit of advice I got when I was 17, 18 year old kid finishing high school. I wanted to get a business degree. My dad was a businessman, so that's what I deferred to. I wanted to get a business degree. I don't know what that meant. You know, you do deals all day and talk on the phone. But my dad and several of his colleagues said, no, 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 go get an engineering degree. And then if you want to go get an MBA, you can do that. And then you can do anything you want. The engineering degree was, is an incredibly powerful statement that not only do you have the, the analytical chops, but you also have the fortitude you know, to get through engineering school. You didn't give up. It's really a filter. And you know, much like getting an honorable discharge from the military, you've proven that you can duke it out with the best and get through the system. And that's an incredible talent and skill set that any engineer can offer their employer. It's a seller's market too. So the employees have a whole lot of leverage right now and, and take advantage of it. Find the best role for you. Don't be unhappy. You know, find the best role for you. Doesn't necessarily mean you're making the most money. It may be the best mentor or the best boss or the best benefits package or the best ability to work from home or work from the office hybrid type package. But now's the time to, to get what you want and, and really decide what you want and go pursue it because it is a seller's market at this point for engineering employees. Once again, Will Senior Chief Marketing Officer, WGI. It's WGIinc.com. Check out everything they're doing, everything we'll talk about. It's exciting stuff. Will, thanks again for being a guest on the Civil Engineering Podcast. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Always a joy. Thanks, Anthony. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Will Schneer. Will's always been a great guest on the podcast. He just gives a tremendous amount of value. And marketing is something that is so important in growing a consulting firm, yet so many firms just don't do it well. And so if you liked the episode, feel free to reach out. Feel free to let us know if you liked it and what you liked about it. We do also have content sponsorships available to help you kind of market your firm in front of our growing audience that might help you with some of your hiring challenges that are going on right now. And you can check us out, of course, at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. You can contact us through the website. And remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.